When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, ah, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you would come to us in a new way with a fresh spirit and that you will allow these words to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ where we pray this in his name amen columnist David Brooks in his book the second mountain tells about a home in the greater Washington DC area that he visits most Thursday nights it's the home of Kathy Fletcher and her husband David Simpson he he visits it around dinner time but dinner is not necessarily what he's after what he's after is community and it's a very interesting community that mr. Brooks finds at Kathy and David's house the story goes back a few years when Kathy and David's son, Santi, had a friend, James, who he discovered was often going to bed hungry. Santi asked Kathy and David, his parents, if, if he could have James over to spend the night every once in a while so as to be able to give him the opportunity to have a couple of decent meals from time to time. So they invited James over, and sure enough, soon he became a regular fixture at their dinner table. Well, James had a friend who had some problems at home. So James' friend ended up at the dinner table as well. And James' friend then had a friend who needed a place to eat, so she ended up at the table too. And, and James' friend's friend had a friend, and well, you know where this is going. So that now on any given Thursday night, there are at least two dozen kids at Kathy and David's table. No questions asked. It's the very same meal every Thursday night, spicy chicken and black rice. But kids come from every imaginable background, and the dinner rules are these. First, no cell phones at the table. Second, everyone shares around the table one thing they are grateful for. And third, everyone shares something about who they are or what they are presently going through. The stories, as David Brooks reports, are far-reaching. One 17-year-old girl announces at the table that she's pregnant. 
A, a boy says that his kidney is failing and Medicaid will not pay for a new one. A young woman announces to the group that she's bisexual. Another new guest tells the group that it's the first time she's ever sat at a dinner table since she was 11 years old. The list goes on. Some have been homeless. Some have stumbled through the foster care system. Far too many have been abused physically or sexually. But they're all there at the same table, the same open and accepting table. It wasn't planned that way. It just kind of happened, almost as if they had been drawn there by some magnetic force, some gravitational pull. There is an irresistible power in an open and accepting table. Those of our congregation who have traveled to Honduras over the last several years have likely met Jacob and Melody, a couple from New York City who moved to Honduras and discovered the need to care for orphaned children. So they decided to adopt a couple, a couple here, a couple there, most physically and mentally challenged, and then a couple more, and then a couple more, and they kept coming, and they kept coming, and they decided to officially become mother and father to them, adopting them, all 39 of them. They had to build a new house for their table of 39, 39 castaways brought to the same table. Folks from all over the world now, including our very own mission teams, come and help Jacob and Melody fix and construct whatever they need to keep their home and table available to those 39 kids. They come, these mission teams from all over, almost as if they have been drawn there by some magnetic force, some gravitational pull. There is irresistible power in an open and accepting table. So it's Pentecost Sunday, and we interrupt our first Sunday of the month communion schedule to gather around the table of Jesus on the last Sunday of the month as we remember this day, the day when the Holy Spirit came to those first disciples. Maybe two those first disciples were at table. It was what Jesus told them to do, to eat the bread and to drink the cup and to remember him. Chances are they did that every time they gathered. We do it once a month. They likely did it every day. They drew themselves to the table of Christ because Jesus told them to take, eat, and drink, for this is my body and blood broken and shed for you. And then came that day, the Feast of Pentecost, when they were gathered in one room around one table, and something happened. Luke tells us that it was like the sound of the rush of a mighty wind. John tells the story a little differently and says that Jesus himself entered the room and breathed upon them. That, that Pentecost was when the apostles experienced the breath of God, the breath of God. Have you ever wondered about the breath of God? It's an interesting thing for us to think about right now in this time when we have never been more concerned about breath. We are worried about breath. It is our very breath and the breath of our companions that compels us to wear masks and to keep distance from each other as well we should. 
We are happy right now to stay away from each other's breath as much as possible. But Pentecost is the day that reminds us how desperate we are for the breath of God. Pentecost says, thank God. God is not wearing a mask. Thank God. God is not holding God's breath. But because since the very beginning, when God's breath hovered over the deep and brought into being the heavens and the earth, it is God's breath that has been at the core of our very being. Pentecost brings about this new creation then when, when, when God breathes anew in and around and upon the new community of apostles. Jesus says, gather together at the table, remember my love by eating and drinking, and then soon you will experience the breath of God. Now, you know, whenever I've thought about the breath of God, whenever I've thought about the breath of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, I've always thought about God exhaling. God, God blows God's Spirit upon us, that the, that the breath of God is exhaled upon us, filling us and, and then blowing us into the world. But you know, I've never thought about God's inhale. I've, I've never thought about the first half of God's breath. Doesn't God first inhale before God exhales? Stands to reason. None of us can exhale without first having inhaled. You can't blow out what you haven't first taken in. And so I wonder if the first move of Pentecost, the, the first move of the Holy Spirit is to first take us in. I wonder if the first experience of the Holy Spirit is when God inhales you and me into God's very being. I, I wonder if the first encounter with God's breath is when God draws us in to the center of God's love. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? We, we can't love our neighbors without first having encountered the deep love of God for ourselves. So, so God is always seeking to inhale us, draw us into the deep and abiding love that God has for us, to overwhelm us with the great love that God has for us. God inhales God's children in order to exhale them to the world. And don't you wonder if that's what happens at the open and accepting table. The magnetic force of this open and accepting table is the inhale of God, that the, the gravitational pull of Kathy and David's table in Washington, D.C., that gravitational pull of Jacob and Melody's table in Honduras is this incredible inhale of God who accepts us at table, who loves us at table, who fills us at table, in order then to exhale us into the world as the loved children of God, whose mission it is to accept others at this same table. And sure enough, that's what we see those apostles doing during Pentecost. They, they get inhaled into the love of God and then exhaled out of their little room and away from their table, and through different languages, they begin drawing people into the heart and love of God. 
It's kind of the way the whole cosmos works, right? The, the, the Earth remains in its orbit due to the centripetal gravitational pull of the sun. We, we would be lost without the sun breathing us in with gravity. No inhale of the sun and no life for us. And then the Earth does its very own breathing in and holds on to the moon with our own gravitational pull. Our friend Jonathan Gentry and his great gift of playing the oboe, he, he can't make a sound without first inhaling. No inhaling, no music. Deep breath in, and then the beautiful, captivating, drawing music that pulls us in like gravity. It was Jesus' whole ministry, the, the inhale of those who were way out on the margins and he eats and he drinks with them, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers and lame. He inhales them into the love and heart of God and then breathes them out into the world. He does it all the way to the cross, the sacrificial love that inhales all the corners of the world with the unconditional love of God and then the great commission, go into all the corners of the world and make disciples. Peter Grieve in his compelling autobiography entitled The Second Miracle tells the story of his early life and contracting leprosy in India. For years he was left in India to suffer on his own until by a certain grace he was delivered to England and into the care of Anglican sisters whose mission it was to care exclusively for lepers, people whose disease had no known cure then. At the risk of their own infection, these sisters cared for these women and men who came to them humbly, quietly feeding them and bandaging them and comforting them. Grieve arrived to the community, a bitter man resentful over his station in life. And, and for the first few months, all he had to give back to those humble, caring sisters was a daily dose of his bitter spirit. But he hadn't yet felt the inhale, the compelling force, the compelling gravitational spirit, the compelling love that approached him every day in those humble sisters. Until finally one day, far back off the beaten trail, he discovered a little chapel he had never seen before. And as he approached this little chapel, he heard singing. It sounded like the singing of angels. It was the singing of those sisters, those suffering servants. And he slipped into the back of the chapel and there they were around the table, the bread and the wine, the heavenly feast. And on the wall he could see a list of names and in the list was his name. They were praying for all the names they were praying for him. They were praying for him. They had always been praying for him. They had always been serving him. They had always been bandaging him. While he was yet so bitter, while he was yet so unclean. And finally at table, he felt the inhale, the spirit, Pentecost had come.
So we sit today at our separate tables behind the closed doors of our houses, not unlike those early disciples at their table behind closed doors. And at our tables is not God inhaling us? Is not God gently pulling us to the open and accepting table of grace? How little I knew it was happening to me when back in middle school I found myself struggling to be accepted. Middle school was not a kind season for me. I was betwixt and between about four different groups of people, peers pressuring me into all sorts of unhealthy behaviors, drinking, smoking, sucks, drugs, you name it. And the pool, as you can maybe remember in middle school, the pool is strong. And I didn't have a lot of confidence. I was pretty insecure, and I, I didn't have it, I thought, within me to withstand the magnetic pool. But what I did have was this college student who was our, college, was our church youth director, he had hair about down to his shoulders, kind of like me a week or so ago. And he had an album collection to die for, and, and he liked sports, and, and he liked Jesus. More importantly, every couple of weeks, he'd call me up and asked if I wanted to take a run to McDonald's or Burger King and have a, have a bite to eat. Well, back then, fast food was, for me, the heavenly banquet. So that's what we do. And while partaking our quarter pounders with cheese and salty, greasy fries and sipping our Cokes, we'd talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. And he accepted me for who I was. And little by little, I felt the inhale at a table in a booth at McDonald's. I felt the inhale of the Holy Spirit, the inhale of God into God's very heart. So maybe for us, maybe for us that's the unexpected Pentecost, that while we are distancing ourselves from all the breath that would be breathed upon us, to discover again at table the breath of all breaths, the unmasked God who draws us close and breathes us in with abandon, whose gravitation draws us in, inhaling us into God's love and heart, that we might be born anew and then breathed upon the world to draw others to our many tables.